0: Hopefully this is actually working for Dan. We'll find out in a while. Okay, so a couple weeks ago, um, we talked about what it means to actually follow Jesus. Um, and so I, I read a book called "Jesus is Greater Than Religion," which looks at just kind of you know what does it mean to follow Jesus and what does it mean to follow religion. And so the last time we met, um, I kind of introduced that idea of looking at so you know what does it actually mean. To follow Jesus you know um, what is and to go into that we had to ask, okay so if we want to follow Jesus you know that means we have to give up everything for him so we have to ask the question is Jesus worth rearranging the entirety of our lives for and by looking at the story of Jesus calling his first disciples we saw what it looked like to just drop it all and to follow Jesus and they they did so not by just a sudden gift or sudden just appearance of of courage and they didn't just do it on just a whim of hey I got nothing else better to do because you know they were good fishermen they were making a lot of money not like this was a eh, it's better than what I'm doing now let's just give it a shot but instead they saw a clear picture of who Jesus was and what he has done what he was doing and then what he was going to do and to base off that picture what they saw of him They said, yeah, that's worth rearranging everything. It's worth leaving my job, leaving my family, and following this guy to see what it's all really about. And then throughout his mission, he continued over and over again to capture the hearts of people. And it's not just because he was a great speaker, which I'm sure would be pretty awesome to actually hear him speak. That would be pretty cool. And it's not just because he could perform miracles because there were people all throughout that time who were claiming divinity there's tons of people throughout that kind of period that um that that the romans actually put down because they're saying you know i'm i'm the messiah i'm this and you even have people now who are saying that they're jesus you know come back some crazy folks um and so you, you had these people that were doing that, and there's stories even, like Simon the Sorcerer, that, that he was claiming divine power because he could do these illusions. But there was obviously something different about Jesus. Um, he came declaring not to just, look what I can do, li- listen to me speak, but he's saying, God has done something different in you through me so that you can live a different life, so you can have a relationship with the one true God. Um, and he was just inviting everyone, was, who wants to be a part of that? Who wants to be part of this journey? So today I want to look at that next step. We've already asked the question of whether Jesus is worth it rearranging our lives for. Um, but I want to look at, so once we've made that decision, what actually comes with that? What are the consequences of saying, yes, I want to, re- to rearrange everything in my life for Jesus? What drives that transformation, and then what does Jesus have to offer once we kind of start to make that transformation? <clears throat> Our culture today uh, it seems that it, it it thrives on relativism. You know, I, I always think of the hippies that live in Seattle, like Dimitri here. Yep. It's like you know, whatever's good for me is good for me. If it works for you, it works for you. And there, there's not one truth, but it's whatever truth is just good with you. And that leads to this idea of truth and reality and morality just being a calling card. It's something that we just fill in on a Facebook profile. Um, it has no substance or meaning actually behind it, but it just becomes a social um, identifier. Bigger than that holy loin. <laughs> and we, we've started to do that with Christianity as well. What we've turned this into isn't a relationship with Jesus, but it's just a religion of modernism dressed in Christian clothes. And what I mean by that is most of us here were probably raised in a Christian home. So based on that, that's just our default setting. We're raised that way, that's all we've ever known, that's just what we are. <clears throat> and with that comes the idea that we can just be good enough. If we don't do bad things, if we have just enough of Jesus, then we don't actually need Jesus. If we act good enough, if we act enough of the part, then based on that, we have enough Jesus to not really need Him too much more. And it also can kind of lead to this fear of admitting our our faults, admitting our weaknesses, our brokenness, and in turn, our actual need for a Savior. And we're, we're scared to actually go to... Yeah, so we're, we're scared to go to God as we are As we think, you know I can't go in this messed up, broken down, helpless state that I'm in God can't accept me like that But that's the beauty and pretty much the mere definition of what grace is Grace isn't there for a future me When I've fixed everything about myself When I act better When I treat you know, people better When I look like I'm doing the right things <laughs> But it's there for the real me when we're just messed up, we're screwed up, and we're just in in the very bottom pits. Because we've created a religion of work hard, do good, feel good, and just hope that God says we're all good. You know, as long as you do the right things, that's okay. But that's not the message that Jesus brought, and it's not what he was proclaiming all over the place. And part of this problem of having that idea of following a, a religion instead of just Jesus is because we've actually rebranded Jesus. The Jesus we've created is kind of, you know, it's, it's the, the white guy with the long flowing locks with the blue eyes who's holding a sheep, talking to kids and whispering sweet little nothings in your ear of, just be good and have life. And, you know, but that, that's not who he, he really was. That's not what the scriptures showed how he actually acted because that Jesus that was in that's actually in the Bible is a radical man with a radical message changing people's lives in a radical way just think about what he actually did he rebuked the winds and the waves he commanded and demanded demons he called the religious leaders devils and called himself God that's kind of crazy I mean, he was all over the place. That that's not this safe picture of of the Jesus that, that we've kind of created today in our culture. <clears throat> the Jesus who caused trouble and cited revolution isn't concerned with how we act. He doesn't care about our external behavior. He cares about our hearts And where people get confused um, is is with this idea of my actions versus my heart. And then this confusion leads a lot of people to get discouraged and mistaken in their just everyday faith. They approach the Bible as a rule book. They see, they see Jesus as saying, do this, don't do that. You can enjoy this part of life, but you can't even look at this part of life. And that, that leads a lot of people to just walk away from Christianity. And say, you know, I just, I just didn't enjoy it. I tried it, and I just didn't like it. But you can't just try Christianity. You can try ice cream. You know, you can try it and like, yeah, I didn't like it. You can walk away from it. Ice cream doesn't do any harm. But you can't just try Jesus. You can try religion. You can try to work harder. You can try to be a better person. But trying Jesus, there's, there's no such thing. Because Jesus is either going to capture your heart and change who you are at the very bottom of your soul, or he's not. You're either changed by that salvation Or you're not You can't just try it I would add to that mm-hmm.
1: That it's not for His unwillingness It's the individual's of heart That is right. preventing them from Yeah Opening their heart to Yeah, and just,
0: exactly And I was, I'm actually in touch on I'm that sorry. <laughs> No, 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 no I'm, I'm, I'm glad that That's making that connection right now though yeah um because yeah it's it's definitely not that jesus is always chasing after our hearts but it's going back to that we have to be able to admit our faults and 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 our weaknesses to kind of come come to uh, grips with that um and so then you you have those people that say okay well i i tried christianity as the religion and it didn't work out but you also have the people Who stay away from the church because it's the organized religion. It is the church with a capital C. And I don't like that type of thing. But when you look at Jesus' interactions with the organized religion of Judaism of the day, he was kind of against that as well. You know, like I said a couple minutes ago, this is the guy that called the religious leaders of that time devils. He got in a lot of, uh, you know, philosophical debates about, you know, what as the Bible, or I guess for them, what is is the Torah actually saying about this? You know, he was trying to move and progress what Judaism was then. You know, he was against the status quo of what the church was at at that point. Um, Because these guys were so concerned and so just enthralled with the idea of, this is the law. We have it written down no matter what the reason for it is, it's there, so we have to follow it. But Jesus was saying, no, we have to put this into context. We have to take the law and not just follow it just because it's what's written down, but because there's a reason behind it. Uh, I saw a video a couple of weeks ago on Facebook, and I, I think it was from like the the first day of basic training or something like that, And it was absolute mayhem. So you had these drill sergeants just, like, walking over this huge field. And there's just people just standing there. And most of these people are, like, you know, 18, 19 years old, really young. And the drill sergeant would just walk up to somebody and just start ripping them a new one for no reason at all. And they would make them do one push-up at a time. And they'd get back up, yell at them some more, give me another push-up, yell at them some more. And then there was, like, a fence, like, literally right over there, like 10 feet away. Run in the fence and back. Okay, do another push up. Run the fence and back. And so, what they were trying to do, and it's actually somewhat just sadly funny to watch, but what they were trying to do is just, are these people going to follow instruction because instruction is there? And that's what these, rel- these religious leaders kind of had that mindset that this instruction is there, so we're going to follow it. <clears throat> um, but then Jesus came to put that law in a context. And he does two things with it. First, he shows that the law is there to show us that we need a Savior. The this, this set of laws that are found in the Torah, it's, it's not God sitting up in heaven one day, bored. like, hey Moses, listen, i got some things for you, write them down, pass them out. Tell them good luck, follow it, if not, well, you'll probably burn for it, but we'll see. That's not what it was about. The point of the law was to show how God ordered our universe to work. He's saying, okay, I've created this universe. This is the standard that I have for this universe. And then off of that, he's saying, okay, so I have this universe. I have this standard. Here are some laws so that this universe can keep working as it should. But shocker, we can't live up to that standard and that was kind of the point of it God gave us these rules to show that no matter what we do how hard we try um, that we can't live up to even his lowest bar that he sets for mankind and that, that gets a lot of people discouraged thinking you know God has all this that he wants for me but I can't live up to it but once again that's the point God's showing you can't live up to it but you know what that's okay because I have a Savior for you who can bridge that gap so that we can live up to what God has for us. So that instead of living in accordance to just some external law or code or behavior, you can live in relationship with the one who can put that law or that behavior in the perspective that it should be. So we're not under this law of saying you're not good enough, you're not good enough, you're not good enough. But Jesus comes and fills our heart and says, No, you are good enough because of what I've done. Because of the grace that I have for you, that law, it doesn't matter. And so he puts that code into what it really means, into the, into the perspective of love. Pretty much everything that the law encompasses, it goes back to love. Love. I obviously, obedience and faith is extremely important. God's going to direct you certain places in your life. He's going to tell you to do certain things in your life. Some of them may just seem completely crazy. Those are obviously things you can, you can look at Jonah. You know, he told Jonah to go to Nineveh, which just seems stupid. But it was obviously that's what God wanted, that's what he should do. Um, but my point here is that blind and fearful obedience gets us nowhere. It's like with these Sadducees and Pharisees, when they just blindly obeyed the law because it was written there. Nothing is actually gained from that. Nothing is fostered out of it. But obedience that flows from love is the greatest type of of obedience. It's when we're not... when, When we obey not for the fear of the repercussions but because we love that person so much, we want to follow them. So, Demetri, I'm going to use you as an example. The reason that you don't cheat on Karin isn't because you're scared that you'll get caught. The reason you don't cheat on Karin is because you love Karin. And, you know, so Demetri knows that there's nobody out there in the entire world that he would rather be with than his wife. And Jesus is the exact same way. We don't follow Jesus because okay, if I don't believe in Jesus and I don't do what He says, I'm going to go to hell, that sucks, so maybe I can just suffer through this religion thing for a little bit so I can go to heaven. That's that's kind of just a dangerous and just unfulfilling way to live. But instead, we follow Jesus and we do what He wants us to do because we love Him. And that, that love drives our hearts to want to be just like Him. We know that there's nothing better out there and we know he's as good as it gets. Um, so before this, uh, he talked about this in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, he talks a lot about the law right there. And he gives certain examples of things that we should and shouldn't do. And he, he, he kind of brings this full circle. So he talks about anger. Um, that's where he says, you know, the, the law says that you shouldn't murder. But he said, but really, if you're mad at somebody, it's pretty much the same thing as murder. He's saying, don't divorce your wife. Um, don't make oaths. And don't say, you know, I, I swear to God I'll do this. Just let your word be your word. Um, but he fought, he finishes everything up. He rounds all that up with about talking about loving your enemies. So he centers the law around that singular, singular idea of love. And he could pretty much take all of those laws and all those rules, and it, it boils down to... Love everyone as I have loved you. So don't hate your neighbor, love them. Don't go cheat on your wife, don't don't divorce her, love her. Don't make these huge oaths and promises that you can't keep, but do it out of love saying, I'll, I'm, I'm going to keep my word because I love you, and this is what I'm going to do for you. And so that we should base all of these things around our love for others and our love for Jesus. Now, with all that said, there is a place for the law, Uh, like I said, God gives us rules and we should follow them, but they have to have their correct place. They shouldn't take precedence over Jesus and over what He's done. Because when we put the law above Jesus, we're saying that His sacrifice isn't enough. We're, in essence, mocking Him, saying, yeah, thanks for what you did, but really, I need to just act better. So we're saying that His sacrifice isn't what we actually needed. And that's what separates grace that Jesus provides from other doctrines like karma and nirvana that say, all right, try again. You know, karma, unless you do good, some 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 good things are gonna happen. If you do bad, eh, you have some rough times coming. You know, and then you have the reincarnation and nirvana of okay, you you led a good life. You're getting closer, so you'll come back with something better. You led a bad life, well, you suck, here comes your life as a cricket. That one's not going to be a fun one. (laughs) But but grace is saying the exact opposite. It's saying you're not going to get it right the first time. You're not going to get it right the second time. Or maybe even the third time. You're going to mess up and you're not going to be perfect, but that's okay. Grace is saying focus on the heart of Jesus. Focus on what I have given you and let me guide your life so that you can be more like me. So that your actions aren't based off this, just, okay, I have to do this, I have to do this. But when you focus your actions in your life on Jesus, His life just flows through you naturally. And so those those good actions and those good deeds are just a natural outpouring of that love that we have for Jesus. So when when our souls swell with the love of Jesus and when they're not just filled with the rules of the law. But a lot of people distort this truth Um, they say that um, a lot of people say that they're Christians because that's how they were raised or because they're scared of hell like I mentioned Um, and that that leads to a really dangerous and it can lead to just kind of to be honest a really shaky faith I think there's two and there's obviously a lot of things that can come out of this but I think two main ones our faith becomes either an obligation or it becomes a hypocrisy (laughs) so first with the obligation When we see following Jesus as just something that we have to do, just as another job, it becomes joyless. And when we have no joy in our life following Jesus, how in the world are we going to attract other people to come do the same thing? When you make life just monotonous, people aren't going to want to say, hey, I want me some of that. Um, Look at, like, juice cleanses. Have you ever seen, like, you know, on like, TV or something, when someone is on the lemon juice cleanse, their eyes are like bulging. They look like they haven't slept in three days on a cocaine bender. They're pale. Do you walk up to somebody and go, hey, that's what I've been missing some of my life? Just no results and absolute pain. Like nobody wants to do that. That's just downright stupid. But when we get caught up in the rules of morality and we don't revolve them around Jesus, our faith becomes that horrible to-do list. Um,
2: it reminds me of like, getting up for church in the morning. <clears throat> sometimes yeah. if you have the wrong perspective about it, you're just, oh, I have to get up at this time and then I'm to spend this long doing this and getting ready. I hate getting ready. So, yeah, like, yeah, exactly. If you wake up, you know, you're like, you have the right mindset about it. If you're, you know, if you're getting up to worship the God that maybe you gave you everything that you have, you put a completely different perspective on it. I actually enjoy church. Yeah.
0: Like the
3: singing
2: thing you need about. You really think about the words that you're singing rather than just reading
0: Mm-hmm. Most definitely, um, and this this obligation happens. Kind of going back to, it, we haven't had that real transformation of of what Jesus can do in our hearts, um, because our lives are still concentrated on that external behavior, um, so that people just identify us as as Christians based on what we do and not what we actually believe. So you have obligation. The second one is you have hypocrisy, which I think is the number one reason why people walk away from the church. Because what they do and what they say really has nothing to do, it doesn't match up or line up at all with what they preach. Um, They don't have their actions based around that singular love of Jesus. And they would rather have these devoid, these, these wild times that are completely devoid of Jesus, sprinkled in with just a little bit of time of Jesus here and there. Um, and it can lead to justifying actions. You know, Well, I do a lot of other good stuff, so it kind of balances out. Or, you know, I've been saved, so God will forgive me for, for, for doing this. And the, the problem with both of these obligations and hypocrisy is that it's focused around one thing. It's focused around that selfish idea of just being okay with God just so I can stay away from hell. And it's a gross misrepresentation of what being a true follower of Jesus actually is. It's saying that as long as I have the correct religious opinion of what God is and who He is, I don't actually have to have a personal relationship with Him. As long as I think the right things, I don't actually have to know who He is. And that if I just act good enough and seem just righteous enough, I can get that get-out-of-jail-free card and just be on my way. And so that takes us back to our original question of, well, what's the difference between religion and grace? So this idea of just Christianity as this theology and ideology, and then Jesus as this person who can change our lives and it's that word that I've mentioned again and again, of grace. It's a small word with a lot of meaning. It can be really harder to define, and even harder to comprehend sometimes. But really, the essence of it is that it is the outpouring of who God is. It's the outpouring of His heart. It's His love and His mercy given to us, not based on our, on our merits, but because He wants us to have it. It's given freely, not because of our worth, but because of his nature and his character. And then how you look at it, it can come with good and bad. Not, not really bad, but hard. Going back to that, that idea of it takes humility. We have to be able to say that we're not good enough. We have to say that we're broken, we're flawed, and just downright helpless when we're separate from Jesus. And that's a difficult thing to do. It's, it, it's hard... Um, I think, especially for us in dental school, we're, we're very prideful people. You know, we're, we're we're very proud of the work that we put in. I mean, you were back from high school to undergrad, grad school work, whatever you did to get here. We're, we're we're very proud of what we've done. And so, to be able to set that pride aside and say, God, I am screwed up. At the very core of my being, I am just no good. And it, it hurts to admit that we failed, and that by ourselves we can't overcome them. That we can't make up those losses by ourselves without the help of Jesus. I think uh,
1: a good analogy of this, something that I've, I was always uh, taught, was the darker a room, the less someone is able to see flaws. So if you think of your soul as a room in the absence of the light of Christ, it's darkness. You can't see your flaws that you have. The closer you get to God, the more light there is, the more brightness, and the more the more you can become aware <clears throat> of your, your faults. And um, there's a very, very holy, holy monk. Um, he's... Uh, actually a bishop and he's convinced he's going to hell convinced but when the light of christ is so strong in you that you can see the tiniest little flaws in the paint on the walls you know does that make sense what i'm what i'm trying to say
0: yeah um i'm gonna i'm gonna try to actually talk about that in a couple weeks just that it's that idea of when 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 God is trying to change our lives, um, you know, there's a lot of times when I pray, I'm like, God, just you know, keep working through me. And but for Him to be able to do that, He's He's gonna point out those flaws to you. Uh, Because no, go, go ahead, go ahead.
3: I think going with that too is that God like realizes, you know, us standing next to Him, how unworthy we honestly feel. And that's why, you know, he comes and forms to us that we can't even recognize. Like, if God just, like, appeared to us, it's like you can't look into the face of God, you know. That's why he came as a little boy in a manger, like, the most unlikely of places. Because he hides himself so that we don't have to hide. That's the line I've heard before that I just love.
0: That's cool. Yeah. Um, so... You know, it's, it's kind of that hard part of putting our pride aside but the good news is that grace flows freely we can't work for it, we can't earn it we can white knuckle all we want to try to be good but it doesn't matter that grace is still there uh, because of who God actually is because of his love for us he wants us to have it um, free of charge on our part but through the sacrifice of Jesus on his part Um, in Matthew 5, okay, so I mentioned Sermon on the Mount where he talked about when Jesus talked about the law a little bit so right before when he's kind of opening that up, um, in verse 20 he says, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven this had to just take everybody aback so these are the people these are the just elite elite when it came to Jewish religion and law of the day. These guys knew the Torah backwards and forwards. They knew all the laws. They knew how to apply all the laws. And so for Jesus to say, okay, so here are your what you see as religious elite. They're not even good enough. All of their righteousness that they get from following the law to the very letter, it's not good enough. And so as a commoner, you had to be sitting there going, well, crap. If they can't do it, I have a zero chance whatsoever. But then that's when Jesus brings that message of, you know, but let's put that law into context. It's based around love and based on the grace that I give to you, you can be good enough. You can be righteous enough. And probably the most beautiful thing about grace is that it's not given out on a grading curve. You know, God's not sitting up there with his iPad going, all right, Gabriel. (sighs) Uh <sighs> Punt down there had a pretty crappy day so uh, knock a little grace off him tomorrow Sam did okay so you can up his dosage <laughs> for for today at least that gets him almost back to even um, not but quite. <laughs> not quite but instead it's, it, it's given to everyone who loves and follows Jesus It it takes away that burden of trying to act good enough and comparing ourselves to others and our actions to others and just living in that moment with with Christ because instead we can walk in the freedom of not being good enough and almost being okay with not being good enough and embracing the love that Jesus still shows us so kind of to to sum it up here the paradox of scripture and I I got this out of a book and I really love this, this saying the paradox of scripture is that it calls us much more sinful than we think we are. But it also tells us that we are way more loved than we can ever imagine. Jesus willingly took on flesh to live among us. He wanted us to know, and he wanted us to experience yes. that grace that we can get. Hey, how are you? Good. Um. Just
1: getting my hummus,
2: you know. Yeah. you yeah. yep. hummus,
0: it's been like a week, so. To yeah, to get the shakes a little bit. <laughs> uh, so he, he wanted us to know and experience that grace that can only come from him. And he wants us to accept this grace and accept that we aren't perfect and that we can't ever be perfect yeah. and that we do need him in our lives. Because once we understand this we can quit the act and we can actually be the people that God has called us to be. When we admit our sins and surrender to a Savior who's taken our blame and who gives us grace in return, at that point, that's when we can live and radiate the joy and the hope that we have through Jesus. Uh, so that's all I had. That's something that's really just kind of been on my heart in the past couple months, and I'm glad I was able to finally kind of put it in the context. And so next time, we kind of want to take that a little bit further to look a little bit more um, at grace exactly of, um, you know, is it, I I guess it kind of like using grace to further God's message or using grace as kind of a personal tool um, of, are we in a relationship with God because of the essence of that relationship or are we in a relationship with God because of what we get out of it, Um, which is kind of an important thing I never really thought about until more recently. Um, I think it's a pretty cool topic. Um, so let me close this out in prayer. Um, or does anyone have anything they want to say,
3: add, to I have with? one cool thing. Tuesday night I was studying at some Tuesday afternoon at some coffee shop. And at first, I, two cops came in with a lady. I thought they were doing, like, an interrogation at first, because that's what it sounded like. But I found out one of the cops was a minister, and the lady's getting married, so he's asking her questions. That's why it sounded like it was an interrogation. Got it. But, uh... <laughs> You know, he asked her about, like, the religious thing. And she's was, she was like, uh, you know, like, I don't take, you know, the Bible for all its worth and all that. It's important, but all this. She's like, you know, once kids come, like, I'll take them to church every once in a while. And in my head, I'm just kind of thinking, like, that's the problem with so many people. How can you be in between? You're either all in. Like, God's either the greatest liar or the or he's truth. There's really no in between. I was just kind of thinking about that throughout the week so say a prayer for her
1: I don't know if I've shared this with any of you guys but I have a little religious riddle for you so if I think this over I'm not going to give you the answer today unless you already know it of course but okay so what is greater than God, more evil than the devil did I tell you this already? no I've heard this before greater than God, more evil than the devil Um, poor people have it, rich people want it and if you eat it you
0: will die I know, yeah. I've heard, about it, I don't think Hummus. Hummus? <laughs> no. <laughs> anyway. I think about
1: that people over. want it.
2: They do. They'd be Great. At. Huh?
1: <laughs> I don't know. <coughs> oh, oh, oh.
2: Can I guess? Sure. Your words.
1: Are they greater than God? Nope. Your. <laughs> mm. What's greater than God?
2: Nothing.
1: What's uh, greater than nothing.
0: If you eat nothing, you nothing. die. Yeah. There it I is. got one point. Then I'm done. Okay. we
2: are close. Okay. Points, First thing yeah. you talked <laughs> like, about no was how we are born into a family that is like a Christian family. So, from a very young age, we're taught Christian ethical values. Mhm. Well, with oral health, we've been taught good oral health from yeah, a nice. very young age then we're more likely to have good oral health as we get older. Mm-hmm. So, People that did don't have a very strong Christian background, because we do have a strong Christian background, we should encourage them to become better Christians as moral right. health. I don't know, I was just making a little nice You know what I'm trying to go with, yes. right? Sneak yeah. yes. it in like the best. You know yeah. You're welcome, Dan. But <laughs> <laughs> something, I don't know.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's just because, I mean, and I'm definitely not saying, like, you know, it's a bad thing that we're raised how we were. It's just that we have to put that into perspective and not, like, being jaded by it. Um, so I know, like, I think for me in high school, and I've had friends, I think, Alex, I think you've mentioned this before, like, um, when you were in college, if, when you go to chapel all the time, like, it just becomes, yeah, just kind of part of that monotonous, joyless to do list yeah. um, and so that, that the, the biggest thing is that we don't get mixed up in that apathy you know, right. but to be excited about it
2: be excited about oral
0: health right. So yeah, here it is as,
2: as health professionals oh
0: okay, <laughs> as
2: oral health professionals it's our duty to inform and help people with poor oral health because we have that knowledge therefore as Christians who have been blessed by grace it's our job to reach out to people that don't know God like people with poor oil there it is boom
0: boom exclamation point the the bible summed up in 20 or less. <laughs> yeah that's what was going
2: for
0: Anyway. So. awesome um, alright let me close this out in prayer um, father god we just we, we love you so much and we thank you um for the grace that you continue um to bestow upon us when we just absolutely don't deserve it we we're so glad that um that, that you took on flesh and were willing to come live among us as a human beings to be able to show us that um, power and love and mercy um, just face to face Lord. Um, I just ask that you continue to just work through us and transform our lives so that every day we can just be beacons of light for you to um, just everyone that we interact with Lord. Um, I just ask that Um, you continue um, just to not make us apathetic but to really just take in this entire journey of what it means to be a follower of you um, and that we can just really think on that um, and just apply it to our lives, Lord. We just thank you so much for the work that you have done that you are doing, that you will do through us um, in our four years here at UK, Lord. We thank you for your son um, and and that because of that, we can um, just be part of this, Lord, and that we are just forgiven for our sins. Um, we love you, and God has protect us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks, Taylor. Thank you all for coming.